Thank you for tuning in for another episode of RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania, heard right here every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. On today's show, we talk about bicycle culture in Richmond in honor and remembrance of Robin Heitman, a prominent and beloved member of Richmond's bike community who recently was hit and killed by a driver in New York City. So welcome to this week's Municipal Mania. We have a very interesting and education-packed episode for you today, but it is definitely based around a very serious topic of bike safety, and it is in honor of Robin Heitman, who unfortunately recently passed away in a bike accident in Manhattan in June. So this is something that is a very serious issue in Richmond and across the country, so we felt that it was really appropriate to bring in some people from the Richmond bike community to talk about the issues, to, to remember Robin and to see what really needs to happen to change the culture in Richmond to make it a lot safer for multimodal transit overall. Before we get going, can our guests introduce themselves, please? And if you want to tell a little bit about who you are, where you're coming from, what your experience is biking, give our, our listeners a little bit of a flavor. Ira? Hey, um, I'm Ira. I'm involved in DFL. Robin was also in DFL, so we were fairly close. Um, We also worked together at Quickness, so our lives were pretty intertwined. Um, And I actually wasn't big into cycling until I met DFL, but they got me off my cruiser and onto an actual bike and now I love biking so and what's DFL uh it's a bicycle club it meets every Wednesday um it's slow rides hi I'm Taylor um I volunteer with Rag and Bones I've been living in Richmond for I don't know seven or something years now um when I moved here I started getting more into bikes started volunteering there I led a couple of rides um I have worked as a mechanic off and on um, for a couple years and then also um, ran the bike program, uh, the ride to reentry program that is at OAR of Richmond um, for almost a year. And can you tell us um, what Rag and Bones is? Yes, Rag and Bones uh, is a bicycle cooperative. It's like a collective of people. It's kind of, um, I would say that it's evolving. It changes a lot. The faces change a lot. Um, there have been some core people who've been around since the very beginning of the project. Um, but it functions much like a tool share. So people can come in, use a workshop, uh, pay for stand time. Um, and then we have a selection of used parts. We have bikes that we refurbish and sell. Um, when we do that, anything that we sell or anything people buy from us pretty much just makes rent for the space. Um, so that's pretty much what Rag and Bones is. Uh, my name's Aaron. I am a co-founder of Rag and Bones. That has been in and out of the organization over the past couple years, and um, just been involved with bike community for almost a decade now. Well, thank you all very much. So I know something in Richmond, you know, on the city council side, we get to hear a lot about multimodal transit, Vision Zero, Bike RVA. We've had 
people on from Bike Walk RVA before, but this is really some people that are grassroots that are in the bike community speaking right now. Um, I just want to reemphasize that because we normally try to show both sides of just the different parts of Richmond and the different organizations. So I really appreciate the work that you all do in the bike community. So first I wanted to start by, you know, talking a little bit about Robin. She's not someone that I knew personally, but I've heard a lot of great stories about her um, in the past couple of days. So I just wanted to open it up before we got into talking a little bit more about bikes uh, to really just talk about Robin. Um, I think probably the first thing is they use the pronoun they. Okay. Um, so Thank we're going to try to do that during the show. Appreciate that. Yeah, um, they were an incredible person. Um, definitely lots of energy, super friendly, and really involved with everything that they did and um, went from starting at Quickness to like running the company in no time and um, also super involved at Rag and Bones, I understand. Um, I'm a big part of DFL as well. So it's a big loss for our community. Yeah, one of the first times I met Robin was at our uh, old shop in Scott's Edition. And they had been on a cruiser, and then they got some 80s mountain bike, and they were all excited about it, and we fixed that up. And they just, you know, were around for only, it seems like they were around a lot longer than, than they actually were because they were just such a such a rising star. They just got really involved and immediately, like, once they started working quick, quickness, saved up some money, got rid of the old mountain bike, and got like a, a sick, sick all city, or and then just kind of kept going. And um, it was, you know, it is, it is a, a big loss to lose someone like that because they were such, they were such a powerhouse and such like, they just had a lot to, they had a lot to offer and bring and were always willing to learn and were smart and driven and you know they were they were only 20 years old and the, the things that they were doing at 20 years old most people my age and I'm in my 30s didn't achieve <laughs> and so they were able to achieve things in 2 years that I think a lot of us you know might take a decade and 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 it really is it is a loss not just for Richmond but for the cycling community you know at large yeah i uh, when i read the story and i heard about it some of the things that really stuck out to me was also you know it was 9:30 in the morning which isn't technically rush hour but it's still in that time period of it and it was happened rounding a corner and i think just a lot about you know when you're driving in a car which is my primary mode of transit about really watching out for people and that's a lot what we're going to really talk about in the next couple of segments here that we have planned um, because a lot of these accidents that we've heard about whether it's in Richmond or whether it's outside of Richmond a lot of them are preventable by the behaviors that we especially as drivers and then also some things that the city of course can help with that on the partnership but it's not just a one-stop fix I think is one of the big takeaways and the other thing that just struck me out is every person that I've talked to about them is the light that they were in Richmond and within the bike community. Because to your point, I've heard, you know, only a couple of years and growing up so fast uh, is really the tone that I've gotten. And I, I can understand how losing that type of a light in a, what is a preventable accident is really shaking and shattering, um, especially when, you know, here in Richmond, from the city council perspective, there are people that are fighting just to get protected bike lanes and having to have arguments about these things where, you know, people are at these meetings talking about their own personal injury stories. 
And they're saying, they're saying like on the other side of this that bike lanes are going to make it more dangerous for cars. <laughs> and I just really, um, really astounded by that when you actually see people that are standing up at the meetings and reliving their own personal traumas. And how can you say that to people? Well, imagine having your neighbors basically tell you, no, you don't deserve these safety features because you, for whatever reason, you choose not to drive a car. Your neighbors. That's Yeah, I, I don't think that they are really um, <clears throat> thinking of it as a safety precaution or that it's, I don't, if someone said it, that it was dangerous for a driver to have a bike lane, I wouldn't believe that. I'm, I, to me, it seems way more like they're conflating danger with inconvenience because that's all it really is people want space to park their really expensive cars and they don't want to walk very far to get to them in the morning but it's on the other hand if you can have that space to be which is also bike lanes aren't the end all be all in my opinion no i feel like we'll probably get into that later but yeah if we can um maybe move a little bit to you know i've speak spoken to somebody that i'm trying to bike i'm getting there I still have a lot of anxieties about it for myself, but if we could start by, you know, what are the rules of the road from the bicyclist perspective that maybe we can shed a little bit of light on? You know, I struggle with things of like, where can I even park my bike legally? And how do I, do I have to wear a helmet? Do I need lights? Like some of these basic things that I was never taught when driving, learning to drive a car, and I don't really know where to go to learn that when I'm trying to ride a bike. So I have some experts here in the room and I'd like to find out more. I think one important thing, though, is um, something might be legal or illegal, but there's certain things that you need to do for safety um, also. Uh, like, I think people get frustrated when people, when cyclists pass them on the side and get towards the front of the line, but in, being able to be seen and is way safer than, you know, being right in the line of traffic and waiting for cars. It's good to know. So like at lights and stopping like that, the reason you want to get up there to the intersection is visibility. Yeah. That's correct. good to know. To ride defensively is the safest thing that you can do. Um, and that's when I was kind of uh, facilitating this course, that was what I always encouraged people to do the most, even if it's not necessarily legal. Like, for example, like if there's no bike lane on the side of the road, it's technically illegal to ride up a line of cars to get to the front. Um, that's a pretty outdated law because also cities with better bike infrastructure um, don't it, that's that's not illegal anymore um, because they have these kind of boxes at the front of a traffic line that are I can't remember what they're called but bikes stop there um, and especially in like Portland um, cities with a lot of bike infrastructure and that are nationally known for that have specific signals for cyclists um, versus cars so they, in putting that infrastructure in, are recognizing legally that that's what you need to do to be as visible as you can. Um, yeah, I think that's called shoaling, right? Yeah, shoaling, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, drivers hate it, but it is the safer thing to do. I also like that in that situation, it sounds like putting it on a painted place, you know, even though it's not a bike lane, it's still telling people, this is where you're supposed to go. Yeah. Because I'm always in doubt about, is this where I'm supposed to be right now on this bike? Yeah. Like halfway at a crosswalk? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, I saw one in Richmond recently, actually, but I can't remember where it was. Um, but it's literally a box with a painted bike in it on the asphalt. Hmm. So there's no other, you know, inclination of who, of anyone else being supposed to be there. It's the only place. 
Um, but I mean, I also can understand that some drivers wouldn't understand that because um, a lot of people don't know what the the Shero is, which is like the bike with the arrows in it. it. Means that you're supposed to share the road. There's no bike lane, maybe, but that concept was lost on like most drivers in the city. I feel like like I think if you... there's one at Brooklyn Park Boulevard or like Brooklyn Park area. There's one over there that's not the best by any means. Like I'm looking at your face right now on it. It is not <laughs> an ideal. But if anybody was questioning what a Shero looks like on Brooklyn Park Boulevard. It's the one in the right turn lane. Mm-hmm, I've yeah. been yelled at riding over that Shero multiple times on my way to work. Um, yeah. yeah, this people people will just <clears throat> drive behind you and lay on the horn and lean out the window and yell at you, and you're like, um, be I, like, get out of the road. And yeah, I'm like, I'm in the bike lane though. <laughs> riding on the bike mark with the thing that you. <laughs> yeah. It's also yeah. really bad on Lee Street with yeah, the Sheros and the yeah on the right lane. Um, multiple times I've had people drive right up to like drive right up to me yell at me curse at me and i just point to the ground you know motioning hey there's there's something on the ground that tells me i'm actually supposed to be here illegally also there's a left turn you know passing lane and so when people ask what's the need of of bike lanes well it's because for whatever reason drivers find it unnecessary to move around bicyclists they find it, uh, I guess, inconvenient, and there is this, there is a serious aggression towards cyclists in Richmond um, that hasn't changed. You know, the UCI bike race was obviously just an opportunity to uh, get a big Richmond sign with a wave on it. Yeah, that's yeah. what I got out of it. Yeah, we know that was an. <laughs> I mean, ride the wave. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a failure in all. In all ways, except it did in some way, like, talk about cycling, but it did nothing to change the culture of the city. Um, If anything, it it created a lot of aggression um, and socioeconomic aggression towards cyclists um, in in, in a lot of misled ways. I mean, people, I think, assume most cyclists are college students, when in reality, most cyclists seem to be the average person just trying to get to work or... They can't afford a car or... I mean, it takes just as much time for me to drive my car places and find parking as it would for me to just bike. And it's, to me, a little bit easier in some cases, and it should be a little bit more healthy. And I shouldn't have to ride my car. I I lived in the city for a reason. I grew up in Woodlake out in the suburbs where we have bike paths everywhere, which is nice. But I I see it as a nice, easier way than me sitting here going, oh my gosh, am I really going to take my car out? to go get this tiny little thing in Carytown. <laughs> I was going to say, if, like, so how else can people be a defensive biker? Um, so other ways to be kind of a defensive uh, biker is paying attention to everything around you all the time, which can feel really scary and overwhelming at first. Like I remember the first time I ever rode a bike in the city and I was so overstimulated because A, you're like exercising So you're already, like, you have adrenaline going. These cars are passing you. It feels really fast. It's weird. Um, You're trying to figure out where you're going. Maybe you didn't navigate before you left. Did you take my life for a second there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it's very overwhelming. But the more you bike, the more comfortable you become in that space. So it becomes way easier and easier and easier to realize what's going to happen before it happens. Um... And I couldn't tell you how many miles I've biked in my life, but I was that person too, you know, like years, seven years ago, whatever, 
I got on a bike here and I was like, what's going on? Um, I'm like but, watching my friend, like, how do you swivel your head like that and not collapse? Yeah. But, you know, after, like, I worked for Quickness for a couple years, um, I did a lot of other types of bike riding. Um, and it's like any other thing. The more you do it, you get better at handling a bike. You get better at responding to stuff drivers do that you don't want it to happen, but sometimes it happens. Like, someone, you know, brushes you or gets really close to you. And if that was, like, your first day riding a bike in a city that that happened, you may have crashed your bike. But... Unfortunately, we do live in a place where the more you ride your bike, that's going to happen to you like a few times. And, you know, the third or fourth time, you just keep riding. And, you know, I'd like to go back to the visibility thing because this also ties into a couple other like laws, um, especially at night or in inclement weather. It's like very important to have lights. Um, some people don't have them. They don't want to be seen. Um, I mean, I, you know, having lights or not is, is one's own prerogative, but... It is Virginia law that between sunrise and sunset, you have to have a um, white light on the front of your bike that is visible. Um, well, so it's a it's a white light on the front. Um, that one's required by law between sunrise and sunset in Virginia. You have to have a red reflector on the back if the speed limit is under 35 miles per hour. If it is over 35 miles per hour, it must be a light. Um, I will tell you right now, those little blinky lights that are like, you know, like uh, stretchy rubber or whatever, they're like the cheapest ones you can buy. No one's really going to see you with that. Um, some people do use them. If it's if that's all you got, use it. But um, investing in like a good set of lights, if you are trying to prevent getting in an accident, is like one of the best things you can do. Because um, especially if you happen to be wearing like all black or it's night and it's raining or it's snowing. Um, it's it's almost the difference between not having headlights and driving a car and being in a rainstorm and having your hazards on. Like someone's going to see you. I had that experience recently. Actually, I had like the cheapo ones when I wasn't – I'm like, I invested in the bike, but I oddly didn't invest in the lights for some reason. And I ended up going back to the bike shop and asked them like, which ones don't require batteries? Go to warn everyone it was $55 but they are USB chargeable and light up the entire road. <laughs> and I think part of it for me also is eliminating some of those things, you know, recognizing, you know, that's not a cheap investment, but there's a reason for it. And if it's going to make me more comfortable biking out there, then it's an important investment to make and, you know, gradually saving over time if that's what it takes, or at least trying to get a middle ground and not just cheaping out the way I did that first time. Yeah. But I mean, you, you live and you learn. Yeah. Um, I guess I wanted to go back to bike lanes and mm-hmm. in regards to visibility and kind of the importance of bike lanes is everything that Taylor brought up about inclement weather and riding at night and apparently also riding during the day in the city of Richmond as well. And I wanted to bring up Brooklyn Park Boulevard and how that bike lane was implemented and people within the bike community were aware of it. But I think the general community, the general populace had no idea that this bike lane was going to be built and you can there are multiple news stories about it people driving in the bike lane there's videos of people driving the bike lane parking in the bike lane parking in the bike lane and you can park right next to the bike lane they left a parking spot and yet people are still ignoring this very visible um, piece of bike infrastructure and we recognize that bike infrastructure is going to make it safer to ride a bike on the street. 
and that's that that is a given but we know that that isn't the only thing and we know that that isn't going to solve the problem bike infrastructure is only one element in creating a bike friendly city and something that really um kind of woke me up in that when i was uh, traveling in europe a while ago and i get into copenhagen at six in the morning and we're walking through the downtown street and they're like power washing the, the sidewalk and cleaning everything. And then all I see, you know, then I see 50, you know, 50 plus people of all ages riding to work. You know, young people, older people just casually riding to work. And that was their bike rush hour. This it wasn't a critical mass. It was just it was just people going to work. And you see, OK, this actually can be normalized, you know people riding bikes in very large groups every day all the time can be a normal part of your everyday life and I want to bring it back to Robin for a second um, because I did live in New York City for two years and you know people want to blame cyclists for their accidents a lot of the time and there's a lot of reasons why that's wrong one is because you're a callous asshole you can <laughs> bleep that out later um the other is because uh no uh, worries yeah <laughs> i mean facts have been said like that is the reality that is the reality wait can we can we come in with that statistic of really quickly just to emphasize sure. this point uh, I think Ira had a really good one that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, so my friend actually sent me this study um, at, from a university, and they did a survey and found out that 55% of non-cyclists think that people that are on a bike are not completely human. And I think that's definitely how you're treated when you're on a bicycle. Um, and also, Aaron and I were talking earlier about our experience um, in telling people about Robin and what happened and the response was like, oh, were they wearing a helmet? And I don't know, would you ask that to anyone else that their friend just died? Like if they had died in a car wreck, would you be like, were they wearing a seatbelt? You would say, I'm so sorry, you know? Yeah. And it's just, it's really frustrating and terrifying how um, people just don't believe cyclists or people. Like I think that what really struck me with that statistic is that you can visibly see somebody as a human on a bicycle more than you can in a car. And the level of dehumanization that people in vehicles are doing, it, it, I, I can't honestly comprehend that. Um, that was just like absolutely, utterly disturbing to me. So thank you for bringing that to the table. Yeah. yeah. Part of the reason why people don't ride in the bike lanes in New York City is because cops and truck drivers and construction crews and film crews park in the bike lane and force people out of the bike lane, which is exactly what happened to Robin in Manhattan. And I lived in New York, like I said before, and I saw it all the time. I mean, it's, it's a constant problem. There is uh, a bike video, a famous bike lane video from 2011. That, um, what's it called? Yeah. yeah, I can't even remember what it's called, but it's... Um a guy named Casey, I can't really pronounce his last name that well. Um, I think it's Neistat or Neistat. I remember seeing it when I was, I hadn't even graduated high school yet when I saw this video. Um, but the video begins with him getting a ticket. And he's filming the cop giving him the ticket uh, for not riding in the bike lane. And 
he's arguing with this with this cop saying look you know there's all this other stuff in the bike lane there's there's a baby stroller in this bike lane like that's why i'm not riding in the bike lane so he gets this ticket and then the video that he's i guess inspired to make from this experience is um he goes out on like a really sunny day on a giant beach cruiser um all over new york city and starts only riding in the bike lane and crashing into everything in the bike lane i mean when i say everything i mean like all the traffic cones like purposefully run straight into them because they're in the middle of the bike lane um and everyone around all the pedestrians are totally oblivious um they're just watching this guy ridiculously crash this bike um there's one part where he there's a moving truck parked in the bike lane um or it might not be a moving truck it's just a huge box truck and the door is up and he jumps off the bike into the truck and the bike just keeps going under the truck um and there's i mean it's good they also he gets interviewed on the radio like they have that little part of that in the um skit but he still had to pay a 50 dollars ticket for not riding in the bike lane so that was 2011 what is it eight years later you said we're still talking about this um it's nothing's changed um I was pretty, I was pretty surprised um, to see this one particular comment on the internet. Um, shortly after Robin passed, a really famous bicycle messenger named Austin Horse from New York City um, basically said, "It's time to criminalize." I didn't see them in quotations, like quote, "I didn't see them." Unquote. The excuse that drivers make. The excuse that that particular driver made, but okay. that is a common excuse for many drivers who hit cyclists and appear to show no remorse i mean for for drivers it really seems like cyclists are a bug on a windshield and with the statistic that i previously mentioned you know it's if it i'm only 50 percent human yeah, yeah. Well, it's that's corroborated so um we got the data to prove it yeah but there are a whole host of reasons why one wouldn't be riding in the bike lane also the bike lane is not always on the side of the street you need to go to it's not always where it doesn't always spit you out where you're going it's not like a tube that you, you enter and then it now i'm at the doorstep where i need to be well and in richmond i remember this there was a one um mayorathon where they put on the screen a picture of richmond's current bike lane infrastructure and i could have sworn that a kid had just taken a map of Richmond and put random squiggles somewhere. It looked like, like none crayons, of it scribble <laughs> everywhere, nothing yeah. connected. It doesn't whatsoever. make sense. And like to the point, like, you know, infrastructure is something that the meltdown of the Franklin Street bike lane, yeah. <laughs> the meltdown of Brook Road bike lane. Like it's it's the infrastructure for as much as our politicians say, yes, 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 we want Vision Zero. We want mo multimodal transit. We want bike infrastructure. We also have to be doing things to change this culture. How do you start to change the hearts of people that have dehumanized people on bikes for whatever reason they feel is justified because they have somewhere to go and it's easier for them in a car? Um, yeah, I was just going to mention about the bike lanes too. Um, after Robin passed, a lot of people told me that I should be more careful and only ride in the bike lane so I was joking that I would have to walk like a half a mile to the bike lane ride a mile walk another half a mile I, I would really like to see some of those connect to each other or like um, have it be a little more planned out You are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIRLP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio.
back to you were talking about your time in Copenhagen. I remember I went to Amsterdam and had a very similar shocked experience where I was only there for two days, but I figured out pretty quickly what their whole system was for the difference of, you know, what's prioritized. And I think that was what was really interesting to me is that the way that they prioritize space on the road. And of course, you know, it's different when you build it that way intentionally. Richmond, not a super great laid out city, but it was interesting because on the outsides you had places where people could walk and then you have the inside where you have here's where people are able to bike and then there's really only one lane for cars and the cars really didn't have much space on the road at all. And it was really like you were having to be held because then the bus is in the middle of the lanes and everything kind of goes out from there in Cascades. And I just see where right now in Richmond and a lot of the United States, like what's the prioritization? The prioritization is for motor transit. You think about like even with pedestrians, when the cars were first coming, the name jaywalker or the term jaywalking was actually like a derogatory term. I can't remember exactly what a quote J is derogatory for, but it was literally like the motor companies creating laws to make jaywalking illegal to make room for cars so they could sell more cars. It's all predicated on who's trying to make money and push what into this economy. And we keep buying into it because it's over, to your point earlier, it's, a, it's an inconvenience for people for, for five minutes maybe. Like, are we really all that? Like, are we, are we all surgeons? Like, where are we all headed right now? Probably to the grocery store. It's probably going to be two minutes faster off of our trip. Yeah. And that's the other thing is that Europe didn't just, um, you know, all of a sudden get they, transit friendly. Yeah. All, it, it wasn't just like Europe's transit friendly. I mean, yeah, like people were driving like covered wagons and all that stuff. Like, I don't know how long ago, but Europe's bike infrastructure evolved so rapidly because a lot of children died. Wow. That was originally like pe people protested like en masse. Like it was a huge issue. And that's kind of where I feel like there's this big divide in U.S. culture because you only feel that way if you ride a bike or if you know someone who rides a bike. If you're too important for that, like, cyclists to you are a bug on a windshield. Um, but it's, I mean, you know, and European countries are a little smaller. Like, it's, it's easier for, like, you know, people to, and I guess in that time it was like, I watched a documentary about this, and it was in black and white, so it was a really long time ago, and people did things because they were outraged about it. But just like you said, we prioritize things based on where we get our money from. So, you know, pedestrian and cyclist lives are not where we're getting our, our money from here to build road infrastructure. Um, I mean, if you look at the city of Richmond, our pedestrian infrastructure is pretty poor. Um, I mean, and to your point also about, like, people out protesting the streets when children were dying in Europe, how many pedestrians have we, – we've seen the stories. Like, even if you dehumanize people on a bicycle somehow for some reason, like, everybody gets upset about the pedestrian, that something happened, and we still don't really make a change for it. Like, right now, over on – at Chamberlain, on Chamberlain, and also on another place in the city near uh, Boulevard Burgers and Brews, if I remember, there um, – the cops have radar monitoring. Have you guys – has everyone seen this? It's one of those huge things that's a speed 
it tells you what speed you're going. And it's in theory, you know, supposed to remind people to drive slower, but you put it on a sidewalk. And now there's no room on the sidewalk for anybody to get through and people are having to go into the road to get around. And oh, why did they put this thing there? Because it's identified as a place that people speed. Yeah. Where is this logic that we're actually under where like you can see, especially on Chamberlain, where people are having to come and take in wheelchairs and are having to get off of the sidewalk to then plan for a cop radar station to yeah. get people to slow down. That's the plan. But, you know, as as cars, like while we're on the car subject before we all just die on the absurdity <laughs> of it. So what can cars do to be more respectful? I know that's something for me that I always get a little bit of anxiety as a driver when I'm right behind somebody that's a bicyclist because I want to be respectful. And I also don't have the best depth perception. And I think we were talking before we started recording that legally cars are supposed to pass with three feet, right? Yes. The first thing drivers can do is put the phone down, honestly. Um, for me, that's one of the biggest things, like, I feel like it's easier to identify someone who's using a phone and driving than it is to figure out whether or not someone's drunk and driving. Because if someone's like using a phone and driving, it's like, yeah, you can see them doing it, but it's, I guess our state chooses not to enforce that or make that law or whatever. Um, but I mean, people using the phone are like riding up you know, on the sidewalk. Personal freedoms and all that. Personal freedoms. That's the whatever. argument. I just want to say that's the argument because it came up in Virginia General Assembly session recently of trying to change the, the law. And it was a lot. I mean, I can't tell you how many times like a car has almost clipped me and then I pull up at an intersection and they're playing Candy Crush. It's like, great. Glad that's more important to you because you have a roll cage and I only have so many bones in this body, you know, like. There's, to me, that's the number one thing. But once you put the phone down, yes, like, please give people three feet of space. That's what's legally required. The law states that um, a cyclist can take, or let me, hold on. I got to, like, think about this for a minute because it's a weird phrasing. It's like that legal jargon. Um, the law states that cyclists may ride as safely and practically possible from the right side of the road, from the right, like the white line. Um, so that gives the cyclist the authority to decide how far along that line you wanna ride. Cyclists can take a lane if they feel like it is safely and practicably necessary. So what that means is like, you know, say you're on um, Chamberlain and there's like a giant pothole on the right side of the road. Um, you don't wanna hit that. It, Chamberlain, you know, you have two lanes going one way, so you can take one of those whole lanes if that's what you need to do. The tough thing is, even though the law gives you that right, um, drivers oftentimes do try to intimidate you out of doing that because it's not convenient for them. Like, get on the sidewalk. Yeah, get on the sidewalk, lay on the horn, um, tailgate you, which is terrifying. Um, and there's... There's not much that you can really do in that situation other than just trying to be aware of how bad it's getting. Um, luckily, we do have a lot of, like, if, say you were riding on Chamberlain, like, yeah, there are places that you could pull off. Like, you could just go down a side street um, and just get out of that situation and, you know, loop around the block, come back later, wait for that car to just go on their way. Um, which is hard to do because it happens so often. The more it happens, the more angry you want to be about it. But 
When people tell you to get off on the sidewalk, are you allowed to do that? Yes, you are in the city of Richmond allowed to ride on the sidewalk by law. um, Have the same rights and responsibilities as pedestrians, um, so you have to wait for the crosswalk. Um, But yeah, in some situations, that might be the safer thing to do. I would caution people um, doing that, though. I got hit that way um, because someone turned left into me. Um, So people might not be as aware that you're there on a bicycle, even if you're moving very slowly. What do y'all think about, like, I've noticed some people, and I don't know if it's because they they feel safer this way, but the people that also ride going the wrong direction up the road and not with the flow of traffic, I know that's what you're supposed to do as, like, a pedestrian for visibility, of course, but on a bike, is that any safer? It's, it's not what the law says that you should do. I have done it a few times um, in situations where it was difficult to do something else or I didn't feel safe being on the sidewalk going that way. Um but my thinking's kind of like, well, at least they're going to see me when they hit me and kill me because <laughs> uh, Robin was killed by someone coming up from behind. So occasionally when it seems like the safest thing to do, I will do that. Um, but yeah, it's not the legal thing to do. I think that's something that's really resounding in this conversation is, you know, what the laws are versus what's safe. And the, the danger that it puts people in of like this dichotomy of, you know, basically saying, all right, I'm going to also take a chance with the cops right now. Yeah, one thing, too, is um, the police don't even know the laws a lot of the time. Um, Like, when I got hit, I was legally in the right, but I was given a ticket. Um, I went to court and was found not guilty because not only did he choose the wrong law, I was, yeah, either way, I was in the right. So um, be prepared to interact with the police. Um, Know the laws as best you can. That might not help you. Uh, you will probably get a ticket if you get in a wreck because usually they ticket the cyclist. So be ready for that interaction. Well, I think that's also something like talking about that and hearing that, like I would like our new police chief that we now have um, that for him to also look into about properly training police officers because I think not giving tickets to drivers or giving tickets to bicyclists in general is reinforcing a lot of these behaviors. And especially the piece where, you know, you have a choice to ticket someone or not, where if you don't really know the law and why are you validating this in an accident situation by ticketing a bicyclist when you don't even really know the law? Like I work in insurance and why have I never seen a driver with a ticket for something like this? Like we pull up DMV records. You know, those are things that impact insurance rates until we actually are enforcing laws equitably and appropriately. How do we actually start changing a culture? Because what, how is, how is... How is a driver penalized in any of this? Sure. And what you see happen more often than not is the cyclist being penalized. Just like they have the speed trap that's obstructing the sidewalk, that is obstructing pedestrians, let alone like anyone that has a disability, uh, they also set up speed traps for cyclists and, who might yield through a stop stoplight or stop sign in the fan and so you have these cars just kind of these cops just preying upon cyclists to the reality of a bike yielding through a stop sign in the fan has a very low impact on the general problems of being on the road and I think that's where the laws have this disconnect of how to deal with cyclists for I think it's still if you get a traffic ticket on a bike, you you end up in a traffic court, which those those laws apply 
to motor vehicles. And so here you are as a cyclist that could end up serving jail time or (laughs) paying a $500 ticket for coasting through a stop sign in the middle of the fan where on Floyd they have already changed the entire infrastructure so that you're allowed to do that because recognizing that it is actually safer for cyclists to yield through stop stop signs versus coming to a stop and that goes back to the cops not knowing the laws um our government officials not knowing the laws implementing infrastructure from other cities and not recognizing the infrastructure that we have here there's then that's a big disconnect in Richmond overall is trying to use plans from other cities to solve Richmond's problems it is it's not bike infrastructure alone but i mean it goes on to wider problems within the city and then adding on drivers don't know so you have nobody actually driving a car or enforcing the laws that understands any cycling law. And, and, and to solve those problems is not to create more infrastructure. There needs to be systematic cultural change. There needs to be a shift, which, is, which will only come through education, through the DMV, through high schools, through the city government, through an ad campaign on billboards. That is how you create this shift. The infrastructure clearly isn't doing anything because cars are still using it as if cars are still using bike lanes as as if it's a parking lot. So clearly the infrastructure is not going to be the solution here. I lived in uh, northern New Jersey for a bit there. And something that's radically different there is you get really used to the fact that you're not going to be able to park the car on the block that you're trying to go to. Like, the number of times I had to park just from where my home was, three, four, five blocks, and that was the norm. Whereas a lot of people that own um, cars here in the meetings about the Brook Road bike lanes coming up about this entitlement to be able to park directly in front of a business or directly in front of their house. And that kind of entitlement comes also back down to property ownership. And the amount of times that property ownership came up in these debates, because it was just this level of disrespect for people that decided to, I I own a bike. And regardless of the reason why, whether it's because you enjoy it, whether it's because that's what you can afford, whether it's because that's where your license situation is right now, or whatever the reason, it didn't matter. But suddenly your voice is invalidated because who pays for the roads? Yeah, yeah, but the bike lanes didn't didn't remove parking. I think that is the disconnect. That's also another disconnect. Is that the yeah. bike lanes don't remove parking. What removes parking is the city government creating one hour parking in the fan and subsidizing or contracting a company to then ticket you. And who knows where that money goes. So if you really want to talk about parking, you should address the one hour parking permits and who who pays the par- the meter maids? And where is that money going? That's the real question, is rethinking all of our infrastructure, not making it so cars have to move all the time. Surface area parking as well is a huge problem in terms of infrastructure in the city because it's wasteful and it costs money for surface area parking. So why are we not making it more accessible in a weird way for cars to actually park and not have to move around and then substituting that space where cars used to be for bikes on the road. I mean, to me, that would be a logical step. 
but for whatever reason, we make it so cars have to drive around constantly to park, and then pe- people complain because they can't park in front of their house, which is which doesn't make any sense make because sense, it's yeah. not they're, that's not being taken away from them. So there's so much disconnect of the information and what the laws are. It makes it seem uh, it's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. No, I mean, these are some great points. I really appreciate all of them because I'm just taking notes over here furiously because you're right. You know, I think I was at a uh, Richmond 300 master planning meeting and oh, they God. put you. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yep, yep, we're all on the same page then. And Yeah, I've. Yeah. 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 All been there. And it's like it's time to take a swig of this coffee. Oh <laughs> Buckle up for this one. Listen, if anybody wants in the in the city government wants to retire and, and give me their job because I can do any of them better. So go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, you know, Ooh, email RVA challenge. Dirt, because I know none of y'all touch. are doing anything well. I can clearly do any of your jobs better than you. Probably anybody in this room here, so let me just put that out there. Um, these Bring are some it. really great ideas. This, a lot of it, I think, makes sense, where these are things that our city government's in control of. Yeah, like, and they're incompetent. So the Richmond 300 meeting, my, my issue with it was actually it told us, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but they actually had numbers that were figures of how much it costs for surface level parking to install it fresh. Yeah. And it was something like for a surface level, I think it was like five grand a spot. And then when you get up to like the one that's kind of like the carry town little kind of thing, it depends on how big you want to get. But ultimately, it ended up at like $15,000 per spot. Yeah. And that's the level of investment. And, you know, I look around and I've, I don't know how many times I've tweeted this, but Richmond needs lined parking. The number of spaces that I see that are wasted because people don't know how to parallel park and they don't know how much space and distance. If we went through and actually in Northside area and just drew the lines of actual parking spaces and how many exist, because Richmond 300 master planning session, they had all that information. They could tell you how many spots were everywhere. Can we put lines on the streets? These are very simple solutions, I think, that are practical and can start to really change this culture instead of just having where it feels like cars are just ruling the road unnecessarily into like people's detriment in a very extreme way. I, I think if you have a Northern Virginia address, you have to take a parallel parking course before you're allowed to drive in the city. I think if you have a Chesterfield address, because I uh, grew up in Chesterfield, oh, and they did not require me to learn how to parallel park they to get my license. They took us to Safety Town, so I'm 10 years ahead of her, and they took us to Safety Town, and you got one shot at parallel parking. Oh, I didn't even have to. One shot. Oh, and what was really funny is they have the, the bicyclist in the middle of the road that you're supposed to dodge. Yeah. Dodge it. Dodge him. You can dodge a cyclist. You can dodge a pedestrian. Right. Like, <laughs> like what logic is that? Oh, dodge my gosh. It. Ridiculous. So as we kind of get here to wrap up, I also want to ask, like, so what resources are in the city for people that might be wanting to get more into biking? I know you guys are with some organizations that are a little bit different, but, you know, where are some good places for people to go, learn? Like, for me, I always, like, where's the community? Where's the tribe? Well, if you just want to, like, ride a bike in the city, like, I – think that there are a lot of people who could very much benefit from like the dfl ride um there is a critical mass also all that info is kind of available on facebook um i don't know if you want to yeah like... um there's a critical mass rva is the facebook group um and that's open to everybody um a slow ride dfl is also a slow ride it's a bike club it's a little um of a smaller group um but we meet in federal park every wednesday um and we ride around 8.30. Um, 
and That's everybody's welcome. Yeah. Do you have patient people that are willing to teach yeah. others, even um, older folks? Like both of those are that is not very coordinated to ride a bike and do it safely. Both of those are no drop rides. Um, critical mass tends to be a little slower. DFL kind of varies because it's a closer knit group of friends. Um, so I'd say come to a critical mass, try it out, and if you like it, start coming to DFL as well. Cool. I've actually seen um, some people from DFL out at some of like the marches and like protests I've been at, kind of helping like with pedestrian and traffic control. So like like very adept at making sure that like no person is left behind, which I've always appreciated. Yeah. Uh, our thing is we're dead last like we're not trying to be competitive we're not trying to be fast like we want to be open to everybody and uh, make it accessible and fun so yeah if we can help in any way we've got a facebook page as well um dflrva so get in touch um i would say some other good resources like anyone's welcome to come into ragging bones when we're open um tuesday 5 p.m to 9 p.m sunday 12 p.m to 5 p.m and uh, every Monday night we have, uh, we call it WTF night, but it's for uh, folks who identify as women, transgender, or gender nonconforming. Um, and we ask that anyone who doesn't self-identify in that way just come on Tuesday or Sunday. Um, the Monday WTF night is from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Um, and we'd be happy to talk to you about stuff um, if you have any questions. Um, about bike law or if you're like I want to get lights but which lights do I get how many lumens is too many (laughs) (laughs) might be the ones that Jesse got are way too many lumens (laughs) because also we just get bikes that otherwise people would throw away and then we just sell them so we can keep doing that it's we don't you know no one makes any money we we all volunteer there so we're not you can relate yeah, we're not <laughs> feel it, feel it. Yeah, we're not trying to like get commission on you or anything. Um, and of course, there's a lot of like awesome local shops that can help you. Um, if I had one piece of advice for anyone who's like about to buy a bike, just like don't buy a department store bike because it's gonna fall apart before you learn to ride it. So um, you know, gotcha. Come see us. Go to your local bike shop, whichever one's closest to you. There's like ten thousand in the city of Richmond, so you can pick whichever one you want. Um, but. Or if you're really feeling like, let me go to Carytown and short pump. Yeah, or you can come to Rag and Bones and like build one, and yeah. we can like that's pretty teach sweet. you. Yeah, that's uh, a pretty I cool gotta, idea. Shameless advertisement. For us. Gotta say, um, the WTF nights are awesome. Um, if you're uncomfortable with uh, fixing your bike um, and you don't know a lot about mechanical stuff, it's it's a really really good way to learn. Um, and in general, Rag and Bones open hours. I was terrified by bikes a few years ago, and Rag and Bones got me fixing my own flats and doing lots of stuff so that that's awesome my personal like i'm my favorite and like only tips of mine like quickness rva like they it's a bike delivery messenger service i'm not sure exactly how but there's a lot of people in the city i know that have ridden with them before i may or may not have a habit of like oh let me ask my quickness friends to go on a bike ride Because I found in the city, especially when you talk to people that bike, everybody's been super open about the fact, you know, like we all started from somewhere. And I went the other week, um, last week, one of my friends took me out and it was at night and I definitely underplayed my bike abilities because I was not really sure like where I would be coming in on this. And they assumed I didn't know how to ride a bike and didn't make me feel bad at any point about it. And I just appreciated the fact that, like, you know, saying, like, okay, you recognize that somebody, they expected me to be wobbly on a bike. I was thankfully a little bit further along than wobbly on a bike for my own anxieties that I had while I was out that night. But it was a really great ride and a great way to uh, 
get the anxieties out like once you got used to it and learning also sometimes like what are the easier streets in richmond are and finding out little things like don't go down main at night yeah found that out on grove (laughs) (laughs) i was like what is that noise that's happening as i shake okay don't go on main at night got it (laughs) yeah i would also say um if you're not super comfortable with biking if you can go with a group it really really helps so if you can find a couple friends other cyclists or go on one of the group rides that's I'm actually so a little nervous biking alone sometimes, but group rides feel very safe and comfortable. Knowing that, that you have a whole group of people looking out for you is really great. Well, thank you all for coming in. Uh, I really appreciate it. And especially, you know, it's not that long after um, the loss of somebody that's a, a very big piece of Richmond's bike community. So I appreciate you all really coming in and sharing, and of course, all the work that you do outside of here. So thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you learned something. We hope that as drivers, you give bicyclists room and the courtesy of humanity. Remember, we are all humans struggling to get by here on this blue marble. And just because somebody chooses a different form of transportation over the norm doesn't mean that they are any less of a person or any less deserving of common courtesy, respect, and safety as they travel to wherever they are going. I want to thank our guests again, Ira, Taylor, and Aaron, for sharing their stories, their time, and expertise. If you would like to donate bike bike parts, tools, or, you know, cash to Rag and Bones, please visit ragandbonesrva.org. As always, you can hit us up across all social media at RVA Dirt if you want to continue this conversation or start another. And since Fran's not here, we'll try to do her outro for her again. Blint still has dirty water. RPS is supposedly fully funded. We'll see how that goes. And Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it. Until next week, y'all.